Welcome back to The Writer's Show. Western horror is one of my favourite sub-genres, and I'm pleased to bring you today a chat with the one and only B.L. Blankenship. He is a prolific writer of Western and splatterpunk horror from East Tennessee. He writes horror that is grounded in real American history, which gives his writing an easy, visceral punch. I spoke to B.L. Blankenship about his new book, God Walks the Dark Hills 4. Let's jump right in. B.L. Blankenship, Benjamin Lee, thanks for coming on The Writer's Show. Great to talk to you. It's great to be here. Thank you. You're writing in a fascinating subgenre, which is uh, Western horror. What drew you to that? I really love history, and I particularly like the 19th century. Uh, not just American history, even though that's that's pretty well what people think of when they think of Western. It's kind of intrinsically tied with America the Cowboy uh, whole persona and everything. Um, horror, I, I was raised up around it, Jaws and all that stuff. You know, when you get out in the ocean, you can hear the music, the, the score to it. Um it's such a violent point in history, too. Uh, there were the Mormon Wars. Uh, there were the Indian Wars before, during, and after the American Civil War, which is badly phrased because that's not what a civil war is. That's where <laughs> the South would have tried to take over the country. But but nevertheless, there was all the stuff that was going on um, that, that was just violent at the same time. And so it plays well into that whole um, theme and feel. You've written that your writing is propelled by three principles. Yes. God is judge, the devil is real, and people are cruel. As a writing manifesto, that's brief and to the point. Did you start from that point or come to realise the truth of it through your writing? I I started at that point. I overthink everything and I really plan out and plot and scheme and all that when I'm writing. My first uh, work of fiction was my dual novel, God Walks the Dark Hills, book one and two. It's like 525 pages or whatever. There will be six um, books in that uh, altogether. That's like the nexus of where I'm coming from. So I had it mapped out and essentially kind of sort of had the books after it mapped out into my head, like I know where they're beginning and where they're going that's really stressful by the way to write the sequel you know because you stop and then you're doing some other stuff and then you write a sequel to something else because you don't want it to turn into what spider-man 3 or whatever was and it's like well this was great but what happened um so so there's all of that with it but yeah that that's the whole 19th century tone to me when you talk about like the church you know here in in america and everything you didn't get like the whole god is love thing being preached so much until the um you know the the 1900s uh you you had you know it was hellfire and brimstone (laughs) you know walk that line and um and all that sort of things and then you had a whole lot of human cruelty that you can throw in with it. There are some monster elements, uh, things like that. It doesn't take main stage. It's always kind of background. I tend to focus on human monsters. That only makes it worse because then it's like you think things are bad here. There's worse stuff that you can imagine hiding in the shadows kind of tones and everything. 
your your horror is unique because it's centered around real historical events. What's your research phase look like? How do you pull the threads together for writing a new book? It's huge. I think that it's really submersive. Um, I find a lot of things through the Library of Congress, other people that really get into it and study that kind of points me in different directions. I'm all about original source material when you're looking at history because you know that like 30, 50 years later, um, that's not really in touch with what was going on then. So when Abraham Lincoln, and Abraham Lincoln is not the focus of my books, but you wouldn't have had the Civil War without Abraham Lincoln. Um, When you look at Abraham Lincoln, not too long after he died, there were a few biographies on him. Now, when you go to school, and I don't know what it's like anywhere else in the world, but when you go to school in the United States of America, he's he's almost like deified, uh, Lincoln is. Uh, He was a man that did no wrong, which that's suspicious because that's not how people are. Um, But when you read some of these like early biographies on him, he was a flawed person. Um, historians that have looked into him, he was a man that suffered from mental illness. He had all kinds of things going on. He wanted to free the slaves and ship them off to Liberia. Mm. Th- there's all sorts of, of things there with that, that, that there's cracks and so forth. And when you look at history, there's all kinds of ugliness. When you have uh, General Benjamin Butler down in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, he was Union and uh, he made a general order to go ahead and rape the women of New Orleans. When you look at the things that Sherman did, how they had convicts coming over from, from England and whatnot to, to burn and just pillage and, and, and all sorts of things. But that gets whitewashed through history. Uh, it, it, Sherman's really interesting. And a lot of things in the uh, Civil War are interesting because they kind of fed later into history how medicine was done, how war was done. Um, if if the North hadn't did what they did in that war and hadn't justified it, the Spanish-American War, World War One, and World War Two, you wouldn't have had a lot of super violent things against civilians done in those. It really yeah. caused a precedent for it. Um, it it was bad. the The whole thing was really bad, and and there was some bad, you know, along on both sides. And where I write horror, I tend to focus on things like that. I I think characters like Champ Ferguson, who's not made his way into any of my works, but I think that they're interesting. He was a guy that his whole family fought for the Union, but he went ahead and he fought for the Confederacy. This was in like northern middle Tennessee, and he basically kind of exacted vengeance and did what he wanted. And somebody was sick in bed, and he would go in their house and slit their throat and all that. So, I mean, there, there were some bad dudes that were there. There's Liberator Johnson with the North and all kinds of things. Um, I think Sheridan is, is notably a bad guy that was a union guy. He's the man that's most notable for the quote, the only good Indian is a dead Indian. So, I mean, you, you had a lot of things that went on, but you, you've got all this turmoil and it creates a good backdrop. I, I really like to include some history like that because I feel like it tethers the stories to real life. It makes them feel more real. And God Walks the Dark Hills, I have Morgan's Raid in uh, book one and two. I have uh, just just so many different things going on in them. Um, 
in the fifth one, which is what will be coming out next year in, in uh, 2023, I'm going to have uh, one of the characters uh, is, is going back home. He was uh, he fought as a Confederate, a black Confederate that was sold into slavery in Cuba. And there's a thing that like kids just aren't taught in school or, or here anyway called Congo Free State, Leopold II. Uh, it's bad. It's really a lot of people died. It's really bad. Um, but no, I, you, you've got all kinds of horrible things going on around the world. Um, I don't even go into the Fiji expeditions or the opium wars or any of that. But, but you know, all around the planet, you had Union and Confederate ships sinking over by France, down by Antarctica. Um, there were rebels that, uh, that joined from Australia. Uh, you, you'd people from different places in the world. Basically, every group of everybody was represented in the Union and the Confederacy. Yeah, yeah. It really was. We certainly have our, our own dark history down here. But um, it's interesting you're talking about vengeance. Vengeance is a great through line for any writing. So the, the West is full of stories of vengeance. I I really like Josie Wells a lot. I like both of those Um books i don't care so much for the second movie um you know each book got made into a movie uh the first one's really notable because it's clint eastwood yeah but um yeah i i do like that my favorite western horror movie period uh would be brimstone i i really love it it's fantastic i know a lot of people just go to bone tomahawk and and that's where they're at i i like brimstone a lot i i like the um the nightingale a lot. I believe that is in Australia. It seems like, but that's I throw that in with the with the Western horror. The uh, the villains are the red coats and the the woman's Irish and um, they uh, it, it's kind of an I spit on your grave thing and she gets an Aborigines man yeah. to help her uh, track them down and she tells him she's like I'm just like you um, because the people that treat me this way they look at us the same. And it's it's a neat, uh, you know, Honnold down revenge kind of thing. I know the proposition was yeah. in Australia. I, I, um, I like the Dark Valley. That's in Germany. Yeah, um, yeah. The, it's a a guy that his mom escaped from this bad family and moved to America. This is spoiler alert, by the way. And he comes back down there to exact revenge, and he acts like he's a photographer, but he's there to kill him. Yeah, you talk about the proposition. That that's one of my favorites. Of course, um, Nick Cave wrote that, and if you look at a lot of Nick Cave's writing, it's well, some of his early stuffs full of tales of vengeance and rooted in the in the, in the West. You yourself live in South Tennessee, which, from my view down here in Australia, is an exotic, evocative place full of dark and vivid history. How important is that as a sense of place in your writing? Very, you know, Stephen King. He lives in Maine. He writes a lot about Maine. And I thought, you know, I could showcase the South. I'm really avant-garde. Um, if something's like too mainstream, I do the complete opposite of that. Uh, there are movies, there are stories, I named Josie Wells, that have a Confederate protagonist. And it's like, you know, that that's a neat angle. I also like the Native American protagonist. I've just not happened to write any any of that, uh, just because most of it's skewed towards union, you know, the victors write the history yeah. and that seems to be the way that, that fiction goes as well. Um, 
I've, I've written a lot of short stories. And when you look at short stories and when I'm not following what the armies are doing, um, quite literally, the South was the place that was invaded. Um, all of the men would leave pr- pretty well, unless they were super wealthy, you know, rich man's fight, poor man's war. Yeah. But they would leave their homes. So they've got their wives and their kids there. Um, if they happen to have a slave, they've got their slave there. But all these guys are gone. So these people were vulnerable. I've got a, uh, one story that's coming up in another anthology that I'm doing where some bummers, that's what they were called, kind of like a um, federalist uh, terrorist group where they would go and terrorize, just a few guys, where they would go and terrorize households um, b- because of the nature of things. You didn't have that in the South. The closest you had were you had guerrilla uh, warfare units who, you know, it, it, it was bad. People, Champ Ferguson and people like that that would, you know, it, it's like, well, I'm taking your chicken and, and you know, you know and, and all kinds of stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I think that what's great about horror, and I like a lot of psychological aspects of it, is when things are offsetting or when you feel helpless. To me, that's horror. When the neighbors aren't home, when it feels like there's nothing that you can do um, to, to really win, you're just trying to survive when it, when it's that kind of bad feeling. I think that that is just the embodiment of, of what horror is. A very existential yeah. view, view of horror. I love Lovecraft. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. My favorite. What, what draws you to the history of the wild west as an engine for your imagination? I just think that it was a simpler time, and I think that it was a neat time. And, and moreover, it's a time that changed so many different things. The way that the soldiers were fed, the advancements in medicine, the advancements in military, um, all of those things, uh, the, the fashion, um, you know, you were starting to come into into electricity, kind of, sort of, you know, you had the gas lighting and and everything like that. Um, in the fourth book that'll be out this year, I'm just going to say that there is some stuff that happens in San Francisco. So when I write about a place, and I'll, I'll just use San Francisco as an example without breaking down anything that happens in the story, I look at actual street maps, uh, Library of Congress, by the way, you know, loc.gov. Um, I'll look at actual street maps of those roads and I'll say, and they turned right on this street and they went down this way. Yeah. So I'm not even making up those names. Uh, when I talk about hell hole cave in West Virginia, that's a real cave. It's, it's one where it's a vertical cave. Yeah. Uh, hence the name. Um, I like to throw real places in like that. I like to name places that aren't named what they're, they were named in like Bath, Virginia is in, yeah. um, in the first book because it's not Bath, Virginia anymore, because that Virginia became West Virginia. So not only did the state change, but the city changed and, and just all kinds of stuff like that. I think that it's neat. Uh, I think it's neat to say that because I'm just obsessed. (laughs) If, if, you know, it was actually raining on this day and to say in the book that it's raining. So somebody's reading this, that is a fanatic that knows about Morgan's uh, raid or, or whatever. Um, that you have all of that, but no, I, I mean, I sit around and I study up in depth 
I listen to audiobooks, I read books, I listen to podcasts, and I kind of mull it all together. It is fiction, so I'm given some liberties, but I, I try to get it pretty accurate um, to there. And, and I do have a few books that I'll be writing in between book five and six, but in the meantime, I'll be doing some research. I need to do some more uh, Bermuda research that, you know, that was a notable back and forth place. And it pops up in my books a few times and I've just not went into incredible detail in it. And I, and I probably want to do that more. I'd honestly like to go and visit Bermuda. Um, I think it looks very nice. It, it certainly give, gives your writing a, a grounding in reality. All that research, ha, 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 I'm just fascinated. How, how do you collate it, organize when, when you're researching a book? Do you, you keep a spreadsheet? Do you keep a journal? On, for a particular project or without giving his secrets away. I guess I'm, I'm just fascinated with it. I, um, well, I have a good memory, but I'm not going to remember everything. Uh, you know, I will have just like, I'm a Mac guy, by the way, so it's pages instead of Word, but it's essentially a Word document. I'll have a pages document open up and I'll, you know, that I'll use for notes and I'll write my little notes of this and this and this. Um, when I'm laying out my stories, when it's something detailed, like the God Walks the Dark Hills series, you know, that didn't happen with my novella, The Confederado. It's a 20,000-word, one-hit-go novella. Um, I was That was kind of off the fly. I had a basic order of what was going to go on. It was more like a video game. It was more like, here's what they have to achieve, bop, 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 and, yeah. and went through. But with God Walks the Dark Hills, there's so many moving parts I'll get a numbers document, which is like an Excel document. You know, I'm talking the Mac Windows transference. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be like, okay, in this chapter, so I get my box up here, this person's doing this, and this person's doing this, and this person's doing this, and this person's doing this. And then I go down to the next column of them. And, you know, and I, I keep it up and I'll have over to the far left that it's this year or this day or whatever. And I try to keep track of what, this and this and this and this and this person is doing at that time. And that's how I sort of register. And sometimes things will change, but that's how I basically register what's going on and where and, you know, have that laid out that way. Let's talk about your new book, which I understand is in production. And you said it's coming out next year. God Walks the Dark Hills 4. So tell us a bit more about that. Okay. Um, the series winds up following a number of characters. The main character in it, uh, his uh, birth name is Chike Bancol. He is born in the kingdom of Loango, and that's in the Congo. So he's he's going to be going back there in book five. Um, in, in short, just, just skimming over some details of his life, he is um, apprehended by a Portuguese slaver, uh, totally fictitious character, uh, but he's um, apprehended by him and has just the worst slave ship cruise that there can be. Uh, it, it's really extreme, like to the point that I would like to make one of the, this is the most violent book I've ever read uh, list. Uh, Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian, by the way, is on all of those, and I love that. Yeah. But, so he's on this slave ship, and he gets sold into slavery in Cuba. A lot of bad things happen to him. Before that, um, it shapes him into who he is, and it's a what are you going to do in your life. He's there in the sugar cane fields. They have human blood sport there. 
he is emancipated by this kindly Spaniard man that lives in New Orleans, who's basically like the Jesus character of the book. You know, this is this virtuous, good guy who I'm going to kill off, and then he's going <laughs> to go go after uh, all the people that killed him. And then the Civil War happens, and there's just one thing after another. Um, a certain person becomes a, a villain, a big threat in him. There's several other villains that pop up. There's several friends that he meets that pop up. Um, he has this black sheep militia called Heaven Seven that's totally made up. But when you have a militia that's running alongside an actual military unit, it gives me the freedom as a fiction writer to have them do whatever I take a notion. So all the things that I say happen with Morgan's raid that happen with real characters, yeah. those actually happen unless it's a direct interaction with a fictitious character. And then there is a slight scene that I take of Grant and Sherman conversing with each other where somebody tries to take their head off that is a direct reference to a scene and how the West was won. That's me homaging the movie, but there's so many Easter eggs that I throw in stuff because I overthink everything. Fabulous. So what's what's your launch date? As soon as possible. Um, that, that's that's just how, you know, how I roll with it. Yeah. As soon as I can get it out, uh, it'll be out in like a month. Oh, great. As soon as I can go ahead and get, uh, get something written, the faster I, I write it. That's the good yeah. thing about being like an indie author and everything um if any authors are watching this i'm an ingram spark guy that's that's who i like to publish yeah. through yeah but um that's as soon as i can get it out the the better i've got a bunch of touring going on next year early on in next year the first one is at the end of the month of january so it's good for me to have you know a few more books out i'll have that book out i look to have and and the the title's really pulled from Stephen King's Carrie, because they've got the sign, Carrie White Burns in Hell. It's called Abraham Lincoln Burns in Hell. Yeah. Uh, it's the least violent thing of anything that I write. Um, it's sci-fi. Uh, John Wilkes Booth travels interdimensionally to assassinate different tyrannical variants of Abraham Lincoln on alternate worlds. So basically, <laughs> it's Doctor it. Who, <laughs> but it's it's Booth going to kill different Lincolns. So, um, you know, there's, there's a book one and there's a book two, uh, and, and I pull real history stuff from that. And I'll have a little bonus thing at the end of them or whatever. Uh, the first book, it's a steampunk world. And I talk about how that would work if England and France intervened in the war, um, how that would have changed the U S and then yeah. I, I blow up the fact that Lincoln had a relationship with Karl Marx and I, I amplify that so the the north gets in with germany and and that you know they were pretty technologically sound and um it turns into a steampunk north you know they're getting their zeppelins and and you know early world war one technology and stuff like that when booth goes to this other other world and um then uh then in book two that's it's another interesting twist um, it's a papal state north, and uh, the world's different because the Catholic Church intervened um, in the Revolutionary War, which made them even more prominent. So Lincoln's kind of like the Pope of the North against the Protestant South. <laughs> <laughs> you got a great imagination, Ben. 
And this is a show about writing, of course. So let's talk about your habits and rituals. You're very prolific, of course. What kind of discipline does that take? I'm really obsessive compulsive. Um, I work professionally as a graphic artist. You know, I, I worked in music. I wrote songs before I ever wrote books and wrote poems as a kid before I ever wrote songs. When I have something in front of me, I really just want to finish it. I don't write every day. I, I hear a lot of authors say, hey, I write every day. Uh, when I get something in front of me, I do try to get it as soon as I can. So I try to like lay out my time and structure my time. But it's like, when do I have time to work this in? And whenever I can find it, I do it. Uh, you yeah. also kind of got to have that spark going on. You know, I don't want to write something and it not be great. Yeah. Uh, if, if I'm not feeling it or whatever, it's just I'm just going to watch a show or listen to an audiobook or or, or do whatever. Um, but when you feel that spark, you know, you can sit there for like three or four hours. Uh, I normally when I do write maybe like 3000 words a day, something like that. You know, we're talking coming home from work late in the evening or getting a few in early. Yeah, that's about how many I get out. Well, that, that's prolific, 3,000 a day. Talking about promoting books on social media, you're, you're quite visible on social media as well. There's a lot of noise on Twitter lately um, about the Mars King takeover, for good or bad. What, what's your view on Twitter? Has it been good for your profile and books? It has. It's, it's been really good for them. Um, I'm on several social media platforms the three that have done the best for me, and keep in mind, I write Western horror. So the, the thing that's weird about that is you kind of you have people that write Westerns, and really I'm more of a Western writer that steps into horror, j just how I come at it, because you couldn't remove the stuff that I write from that time period, but you could pull the horror out of it, and it would still kind of you know be that. Um the Western Writers Associations are almost like bluegrass music. Um, if you walk in with a drum, <laughs> they look at you like you're some kind of a weirdo. Um, yeah. It's it's really, really like, you know, glory, hallelujah, I shall not be moved <laughs> kind, kind of stuff uh, going on. Um, there is no variance. You know, progressive bluegrass, bluegrass people hate that because bluegrass ain't progressive. But if... Um, if it is, it's still not that progressive. It's less than, than country music. Uh, within horror, um, that's who I find most of my target stuff with. Slasher, which you cannot get on the internet. You've got to have an app on your phone. There's a slasher app. I have had people physically come out to my stuff for that. What's cool about it is you don't have a bunch of political garbage or whatever. Yeah. It's only people talking about horror stuff, which really and truly, I'm on it to sell books. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to change somebody's mind about something. I'm not even trying to change people's mind about history. I, I'm not wanting people to say, you know, I hate you, Abraham Lincoln, or what. It's, it's a fiction. It's a book. <laughs> you know, come, come to your own. I don't care. Um, but slasher works well for me. Uh, Facebook works well for me, and Twitter works well for me. And really, I've been getting a lot of good uh, reactions out of Twitter. It's been going well. Um, that's, if you go into my Twitter page, that's what you're going to see, is you're going to see things that have to do with my book or that I feel are somehow relevant 
to it if it's about yeah. the 1800s or a civil war thing or whatever i might just go ahead and, and throw that in there because that too is an audience that i could grab even though a lot of people that are super into the civil war don't want fiction <laughs> you you do you do have that crowd that it's like only non-fiction so i i don't know how well that helps me at all um but yeah twitter facebook and slasher where I've done well. Yeah, I've, I've um, had a look through your Twitter profile, and it's great. It's very focused on on your books and just around that. Yeah, there's no no politics or side, which is good to see. I always ask, what's the most important advice you've ever received about writing? I honestly don't know the answer to that. <laughs> uh, I have I have had so many authors that have been super kind. To me, that that have been good friends with me, um, that that help proofread my stuff and and all of that. That we kind of you know push each other to to some degree and all that. So so there has been that interaction there. But honestly, I I really don't know. I do know that when I was in college and I was eighteen years old, that a professor had told me I'd written something, and it just really kind of went on and on and on and on. I, I was trying to make a good impression or whatever. And he pointed to this one place where I used a metaphor. And he said, that's really good. When you use metaphors, you need to do that more. And I have ever since. So maybe that. Yeah, well, that's good. Let's flip it. What what advice would you give to new writers starting out on the self-publishing journey? I would advise them to to be careful about a few things. So before I got into writing, and I began writing fiction to make money, which you might be like, well, then why aren't you going after the romance genre? Because that's, I mean, dramatically crazy more money, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Uh, billions of dollars a year, whereas I, I forget what horror is, it's 70-some million or whatever, but versus like $2 billion or, um, it's it's like six uh, horror is. Um when I when I look at events or when I look at different things, um, I just have to question the validity of it. You know, hey, I'm going to do these promotions for you for money. And it's like, let me see how many likes they have. Let me see how much information, you know, is this worth what I'm paying for it? Um, I think that it's important to build a good, strong local base. Yeah. In in music and in literature and in a lot of stuff, people want to go big. It's like if I can just fly across the country and get a room and be at this big thing with all these people that are way more prominent than me that I'm not going to sell as many books as, uh, that's that's a great thing. You're not going to make money at that. It would be good to build a local following. Um, it's good to do things that aren't this huge thing. I love things that are driving distance. I'm fine with doing a bigger thing here or a bigger thing there. Uh, but I try where I'm in East Tennessee. I'm like in the shadow of Knoxville. That's that's where I, I live. I like it when I can just go somewhere, drive back home, go back there because I'm going to make money. If I'm spending money on a hotel room, that's me spending hundreds of dollars more yeah. And I may not come out ahead if I do that. So it helps me. And then you can just keep stepping it up, stepping it up, stepping it up as it seems appropriate. Where, where can listeners buy your books? 
all over. That's why I publish through Ingram Spark because I'm not Stephen King and I want people to be able to stumble and fall into me. Yeah, they're fantastic. Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Yeah. Uh Amazon. Not not just those places though, all over the place. Um there's there's some Russian websites even. Any major retailer of books that, that's online probably has BL Blankenship books in it it's it's just that many it's a lot it's like 30 or 50 or 80 or or whatever different book sellers that have my stuff Uh, i do know that for some reason um the isbn i think it is number uh for abraham lincoln burns and uh and hell uh issue two for some reason amazon has some kind of glitch with it that i wrote them about so like if you went on barnes and noble you would see that book, but if you went on Amazon, you'd be like, well, where is it? So it is out there, but for whatever reason, there's some kind of glitchiness that somebody has this book that like worlds colliding um, with that particular book. So you would have to get that one anywhere but Amazon uh, as it stands, but all of the other ones are there. That's a topic for another podcast, uh, some of the glitches in Ingram Spark, which (laughs) I've been dealing with myself. But um, Ben, thanks for coming on the show. It's been fantastic talking to you. Um, We'll, of course, put all all the links up on the site. But um, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. That was BL Blankenship. You can find out more about the author from his social media pages. Just Google BL Blankenship and you'll find his Facebook, Twitter profiles, and they've got a uh, link tree link with all these uh, book pages and purchase links. Or you could just visit our page, thewritershow.com, and find all the show notes for this episode and the almost 50 others that are up. I can't believe we've almost clocked 50 episodes of The Writer Show, but there you go. If you're new to the podcast, check out some of our older interviews. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss an update. And please leave us a review if you enjoy the show. That's it for me. My name's Jeff Hughes. The Writer Show is produced by Madhouse Media Publishing. Need help publishing your book? Then talk to the experts at Madhouse Media Publishing. Check them out. www.madhousemedia.com.au See you next time. (music) 